So as you do join us on the internet, you're joining a group of people that began a half a century ago with 16 people. And we have seen people by the thousands and thousands and thousands come to the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is here. So we're glad that you're here. But don't go away from here and saying, boy, those people sure were wonderful down there at Sagemont. The preaching, the music, don't compliment that. Just say, I found a place where I can meet Jesus. And some need to meet Jesus for salvation. Some need to meet Jesus for encouragement. Some need to meet Jesus for healing. Some need to meet Jesus for counsel. Some for comfort because you're going through the valley. But I can assure you that the prayers and the hard work of incredible number of people have been for the purpose for Jesus to show up and be glorified and for us to be blessed. So God bless you. And I'm going to go to a scripture today that's very familiar for a lot of us that grew up in the church. It is a story that some of you didn't grow up in the church, but you've probably heard about the uh, story that I'm fixing to tell. Because we are on adventure right now. Things are happening daily as we move into the next part of the journey at Sagemont. With our focus being on our students, with our focus being on the need that we have right now, being a church, for those of you that are guests today, just relax. You will not see an offering plate come by you. We will not ask you to sign a pledge card. But everything that you see or around belongs to God. It is paid for. And it was built to the glory of the Lord. And Jesus was the one responsible. But it is very important for every one of us to know the truth about what the Bible says about this subject. And by the way, you'll be hearing about this subject often in the days to come. Because we're just a few days away from bringing to the church a most beautiful presentation of what we think Jesus would have us do to reach our students that are struggling so much just to stay the course and to take to another level the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen intently. The subject is a relevant subject. The opinions on the subject will go from all directions. I will speak to you about something today that's, that you'll say, well, I, I hate for you to talk about money. Well, you do every day. If you go out to eat today, rest assured, money's going to come up before you walk out of the restaurant. And by the way, if you do go out to eat today and you're not going to leave a good tip, would you please pray in the car before you go inside so the waitress that is there will not, will not uh, know for sure that you're a Christian if you don't leave a tip like you ought to leave? Now, I got that from Ernie. He sits by me every Sunday right down here. I'm trying to keep him awake. <laughs> the first time I met Ernie, he owns a restaurant. And he said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to be one. And I said, wow, that's strong. But he wanted to cater for us. <laughs> so he softened up and he called me Father John. <laughs> and uh, 
But Ernie said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to be one, but I'm a good caterer. Well, he came and he catered. And uh, about a year and a half later, after coming to church almost every Sunday, because he found love here, he didn't find some self-righteous bunch of folks. He ran out of green beans. I'm just going to tattletale on him. He ran out of green beans at our Wednesday night meal. First time. But thank God three ladies in our church got their husbands together and warmed up the, the beans. I, listen, folks, if, you've not, if you're not a Baptist, every Baptist church has plenty of green beans on hand <laughs> at all times. Now, they may have been on the counter back there for 20 years, but they are here. If you love green beans, come. If we run out of good food, we'll serve you the beans. But seriously, Ernie and I are real good friends, and I've told his story literally all over the nation because he came to know Jesus because Jesus was here. I told him to look at me, and I said, I want you to look at all these people, and we were in the, in the uh, HRA auditorium. I said, look at, look at all these people, and I'm going to tell you something about me and all them. We've done a whole lot worse things in our life than run out of green beans at a church social. I said, we're not, we're not a... Uh, 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 a museum for saints around here. We're a hospital for sinners. And Jesus is a great physician. But you know in all of this I'm talking about, you do nothing in your life that lasts unless Jesus is part of it. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know a God that's alive. Jesus has risen from the grave. Jesus is alive. Jesus wants to find a people who he can pour his wealth through. And Sagemont Church is one of the prime examples of the world of a people that made a decision years ago we'd never borrow from a secular world. The only way God could, could be glorified or any way that God's uh, work could be done would have to be done by God blessing a willing-hearted people with what that we're willing to give a willing offering to God. A part of what he gave to them would go back to them. And so I want you to listen real closely as I will be coming back and forth in days to come, depending on what the Lord does. I want you to be financially free. There are hundreds of people right now in this auditorium that came to know what financial freedom was, that they owe nobody anything but to love one another. They learned it from God's Word. And that's what we want everyone to know. Jesus is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he not only owns a cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills they graze on. And those stories in the Bible are over and over, and this is probably the most familiar, and I wanted to start with this today. And I've entitled the message, Wrong Roads Lead to Nowhere. A lot of people don't have what they're looking for because they're on the wrong road to get there. If you go out of here trying to go to Dallas and head towards Galveston, you've got a long drive today. You've got to turn around. The Bible calls that repent. It means to turn around and do what God wants to do. Everybody needs to relax at this moment in time and say, look, and he's after my money. No, it's not your money. If it is, keep it. But if God has chosen you to be a vessel through which he will show his power, then pay attention. 
Because if God starts blessing, there's many more where that came from. And he will supply our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now listen to Luke chapter 15. And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto him his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself... And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough in despair? And I perish with hunger. I will arise, I'll go to my father, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He arose, he came to his father. But when he was yet a way off, his father saw him, had compassion. He ran, he fell on his neck, and he kissed his son. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, he's alive again, he was lost, and he was found, and they began to make merry. What a story of a father that loves his kids. Let me tell you something. I like what Buddy Griffin says, you know, God loves you and you can't do anything about it. And he's with you whether you want him there or not. I know that some go places and say, Lord, would you just wait out here in the car for a little while? Because I don't really think you'll be comfortable in there. Well, if, if God's not comfortable in there, you don't need to be in there, all right? But what God does, he takes and he makes a plan. Now, here's what he said he would do throughout the scripture. I can't cover this in 20 minutes. But here's what he says. When I find the people that I can trust my wealth through, I will bless them in order that they can see that my needs are met while they're on earth. And all through the Bible, the teaching is, is consistent. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of people whose heart will be perfect towards him. Anytime you talk about missions and we're facing Christmas when we have the opportunity to give to the greatest mission fund I've ever known anything about, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, named after a little four-foot missionary that has put the gospel on many continents of the world for the first time, where there are thousands of missionaries, hospitals, orphanages, uh, missionaries' homes, cars, small aircraft to get stuff back into the, into the bush and so forth. And for, I don't know how many years, way over a, a hundred years, we have given to that offering and this year we want to give the largest gift we've ever given you say but I only have so much to give and I'm going to have to break it no 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 you don't have anything to give God's got it he just you know when you get ready to give he's ready to supply he said I'll supply all of your needs well I need to be a giver Lord okay I will supply that but you've got to do what you say you're going to do that's just the way it works that's just the way it works you see the father here is familiar with runaway kids. Yeah. 
And a lot of us are, that's what we are. One day we said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, come save me. I give my heart to Jesus. God, please save me. I confess, I repent, come into my life. I want to live for you. Somebody says, well, you need to be baptized. I want to be baptized, so you're baptized. Six months later, a year later, something begins to happen. You begin to take for granted your salvation, your love. You think, well, God just saved me so I can go to heaven, and I'm 18 years old, and I won't be going to heaven now for another 60 years or whatever, because we all think we're going to live that long. And so I'm just going to live like the devil and believe that God doesn't mind. But you know what? When you really get saved, you don't do what you want to do. You want to do what he wants you to do. And the only Christians you know that are happy are, the, are those that are obedient to the Lord with their time, their talents, and their substance. They're willing to give their time to mow the yard, to park the cars, to set up the chairs, to stay here this afternoon and get prepared for the next thing coming. That's what it's all about. That is that life. You say, well, I just couldn't live that life. Well, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. You want God to bless your company? You want God to bless your life? Then he's willing to do it, but you got to do it. His way. One day there was a man by the name of Roger Morgan. I can remember that name pretty easily. He stood on the Golden Gate Bridge. He stared into the icy waters there in San Francisco Bay. And a fellow hobo walked up, as they called him in those days, walked up behind him and tried to persuade him not to jump off the bridge. And here's what he responded. He said, leave me alone. I'm trying to think. There is something more important in life than money, but I've forgotten what it is. You see, we're like that. We are so mixed up. We are so confused. We feel like that happiness is just one purchase away. We feel like that if we can just buy one more lottery ticket, if we can just throw the dice one more time, if we can just do what there is a slim, slim, almost impossible odds for you to win. And you say, I'm going to do that. When the Lord says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, born again. Become my agent to flow my wealth through. That's the truth of the scripture. And I could talk to you for months with specific examples of people. Many of them are sitting here right now hearing me speak. And they know one day I got it. And one day I said, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And one day they said, God can trust me. If he needs something, I'll get it done for him. That's who he's looking for. That's what I'd like for everybody to be. Most of us know that people, well, we all know people that love money. Most of those people have used their money to get them into the biggest problems they've ever had. They have taken that blessing and turned it into a curse. I, I'm speaking right now to hundreds of people. If you won the lottery, you would join the group that has already done it and see how life comes apart. You have no idea how money does not buy happiness. 
You have no idea the pressure that will come upon you if you do it your way. But when you quietly, confidentially, earnestly, spiritually, prayerfully, let God know, Lord, if this will glorify you, let me know it will. And then, Lord, if you can use me to give a word, a look, or a touch, or a financial gift, that's what I want to do for your glory. But now here's the problem. Matthew 6, 24 says nobody can serve two masters. You can either choose to have a financial advisor, and I am for that if they're a Christian. But you better back up any counsel you get with thus saith the Lord. If God says this is it, and they say that is it, you better go with God. You better go with God. Money can cause rational people to make irrational decisions. Money can cause people to do things, even into immorality, that they would have never, ever, ever done before. This prodigal son lived an enviable life. Rich daddy, big ranch, lots of money, anything he wanted. And the time came, which he had prayed for, that daddy would die early so that he could get the Ponderosa. And, uh, and it happens. So he takes his wealth, and he does what people that don't walk with God do with it. He's self-destructed. You don't want that happening to you. I don't want it happening to me. But there's a little that I can do in the flesh, but I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. See, God will trust anything to any of us that are his kids if we know that he can trust us. He can even teach us things in Scripture. I believe there are times when the Bible speaks personally to me. And you do too if you study the Bible. It's not the same for everybody, but it seemed like, God, you wrote that just for me. But when you look in that story in the 11th verse and 12th verse, it's just kind of money mania is taking place. But here's the problem with money real quickly. Money promises security for the future. How many times have you said, I just don't want to have any worries after I get to be 65? If you have saved your money so you won't get worried, you're going to get worried. If you take the position, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But when you look at the scripture, Luke 12, 15, he said unto him, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. What do we say about each other in our culture? We say things like, he is financially independent. He's got it all laid up. He's got it ready so that the kids can fight over it and he can watch them out of eternity. But he's really got it together. Now you're looking at an old preacher this morning that's been to a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals. A lot of them I didn't do. But I have been to some funerals of some of the wealthiest people of my generation. And there wasn't a handful of people there. And the money wasn't any good anymore. American currency will not be good in heaven. Okay? Trust me on that one. If you want to wait till you get there, you'll see. Neither will Chinese or either of those of them. 
But I tell you what, God's grace will be there. And now God will take care of you here and he'll take care of you there. See, the problem with this guy is he had too much. That boy could not handle that. There's a, there's a limit that some people can go to. There's, there's a point to where you, where you have some rationale, you plan right, you want to take care of your family, you want to do those kind of things. Then they get to that point to when you just bit flippant. That's the way the earth handles things. Now, money relieves some stress, certainly, but it doesn't bring you freedom from everything. The temptations are greater. You don't know whether people like you because you have money. You just don't know. That's just the way it is. Money can induce stress, debt. A lot of people, like one guy said, I must be wealthy. I owe $10 million. <laughs> well, he better be. Solomon says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. This is in Ecclesiastes. Whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. You know, it'd be terrible to have a whole lot of money and couldn't sleep at night. It's wonderful sometimes when God's grace takes over and you quit believing that if you just had another dollar, You'd be happy. But you know what happens more than, way more than 50% of the time? The wealthier people get, the stingier they get. Because then they're in a race between the others that are in the club. What's your net worth? What's your net worth? What's your net worth? What's your net worth? Well, if I give it to the Lord, it comes out of my net worth. No, it doesn't. You just have net worth applying in heaven. That's the way that works. You're just moving it from here to somewhere else. But God takes and looks at us and says, look, I can give you money. I can flow money through you that will not control you. You will not feel possessed by your money. You will rather feel blessed by, look what God can let me be a part of. As many of you just a few weeks ago sat in one of our small services on a Wednesday night and the Rick Gage crusade was going to be over in Louisiana after it was here and the churches there were not, not stepping to the line to help pay for it. And our church took up an offering and gifts came in and we sent a gift to Alexandria, Louisiana. And if you've not heard me say that on Wednesday night, 490 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and another 300 people made some kind of commitment to Christ in Louisiana. And you won't see any of them probably till you get to heaven. But it came because in the football stadium, rather than it be two teams playing, Jesus was there. Wouldn't you like to see Jesus in all the stadiums of the world? There was a time when there was a lot of them filled. Billy Graham could tell you about a lot of them out of heaven. He's up there with them all. But that's what God wants to do. He will, he will treat you better than any credit card. He, he's a better investment than any investment. We may run out of oil. You say, well, I'm into oil. I don't have a problem. Well, God makes the oil, and he may have it time to where you're going to run out. But God's grace is sufficient. He has plenty of money. He just can't find who to trust it to.
Well, there are three principles about money from God's word, and I'll have to close with these. We must first use money without worshiping money. We have to learn how to use it. Now, there's stories in the Bible. I wish I had time to tell you about a rich farmer. There's another one about a rich ruler who rejected Jesus. There was another one about a rich man that neglected Lazarus. There was another man named Judas who betrayed the Lord. There were two, a husband and wife, went into the real estate business. Ananias and Sapphira sold the property, came and lied about how much money they made, and they dropped dead at the altar. You don't mess around with God. God is God, but God's trying to find people that he can bless. You know, money, you say, well, money's not bad. Money built Solomon's temple. <laughs> it provided food for the Last Supper. It supported all three of Paul's missionaries' journeys. It fed the poor people in Jerusalem. It promoted the spread of the gospel throughout the world, and it still does. But it's God's money. It's God's plan. And it's God's purpose. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in their uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Isn't that good? I didn't write that. But a young man did, named Timothy, who heard an old man that once had everything and gave it all up to follow Jesus named Paul. And this young man said, and to his credit, while he was young, I have learned, I have learned something from God that'll last me forever and forever and forever. I believe in saving money, but I don't believe in hoarding money. I don't know what we're saving money for, and we don't know what we're saving it for. We might have some ideas. But you see, the Bible teaches us to whom much has already been given, much is required. Not to whom much is being given. When you go through a time of telling God's people that God needs some money, they start figuring out, how can I do this without my net worth going down? How can I do this for be a good business? God says, just do it my way. Whatever I tell you to do, do it. Another thing that is a bad thought is to think that God's going to trust money to us if we can't be trusted. He is not going to entrust money to us if we can't be trusted. I can promise you, to the best of my knowledge, in the last half of a century, this church has been very faithful to do with whatever it got, what God told us to do with it. That cross out there would not be there if we did not operate on that principle. That tomb would not be there. This building would not be there. Much of this property would not be here. But there seemed to be something here that God wanted to share with the world, and so he chose Sagemont. He began to bring people to Sagemont, and those people that came in ways that would go forever for me to tell you, God began to bless little by little by little by little, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And a group of people that the first year with a $33,000 annual budget gave $30,000. We were $3,000 short. And someone just popped up that wasn't a member of Sagemont that helped this church get started and sent us a check for $3,000. 
that was year one. Now, the gifts are somewhere in the $600 million. And not one dime came from a bank. Not one dime was borrowed to us temporarily. It was God blessed a willing-hearted people who were willing to give a willing offering as God prospered them. And by the way, so you don't go away and feel guilty, if you have nothing to give, God doesn't expect you to give. But the widow's might that was given years ago has brought in billions of dollars for the kingdom of God all over the world. The little Lottie Moon, the little four-foot-plus missionary, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars have been given to tell the world about Jesus because this little lady that never got married, just went on the mission field and said, God, just send it as we need it, send it as we need it, and now those places of worship are all over the world. So my final warning is about worldly pleasures. Be careful. Be careful. Happiness is not one purchase away. You won't be any happier in the next car than you are in this car. The 40s and the 50s won't be better than the 30s and the 40s. But the more you learn about God, you find out His grace is sufficient. He is the great physician. He is the King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And one day, He's coming back to rapture His church. And what a day, glorious day that's going to be. I'm not going to give you the figure. I'll just give you the challenge to go figure it out. To whom much has already been given, much is required. We're talking about a, probably a $12 million project. We've already received close to a million dollars. And a lot of that's come from people that are not members of this church that already heard the vision of Sagemont. We have 5,000 plus families representing our church. Figure out what the net worth is. You can take your net worth, multiply it by 5,000, see how much money that is. Let's suppose the average family in Sagemont makes $40,000 a year. Multiply it times 5,000. See how many dollars that is. And then see what 12 million is as a percentile of that money. To whom much has already been given, much is required, and to, much to those that it will be given. In one year, you see how much is out there. And see, and God says, would you let me have 12 million? I'll never forget when the little boy took his dollar home from church one Sunday. And I'm going to do this again, by the way. You'll want to be here on this Sunday. We gave everybody in the church some money and said, take this money and see what you can make it out of it in 40 days. And this little kid went down to a store and bought a bottle of, sham of dog shampoo for two bucks. He could wash, he told me, 10 dogs. And he, and he charged $2 a dog. And when he ran out of soap, he went and got some more. And before it was over with, the little kid gave several hundred dollars to the Lord. He was about nine years old. That would have been a huge gift for somebody making 75000 a year today. You know, boy, I was just real generous. No, God's a giver. We just handle it. It's kind of good just to see it. I remember the first time I held a $100 bill, I thought I'd be, well, my daddy gave it to me. The night I got married, walked away from the church, going to the Shamrock Hotel, and he gave me a $100 bill. I thought we'll never have a financial worry the rest of our life. 
the next morning, we left Houston and went to the deer lease where there was a free cabin. That's how long that hundred lasted. And uh, I'll finish that story in private, but okay. <laughs> Let me close. Here's the purpose of this message. Folks, God's going to move on this place. He already is. He already is. I don't know if you'll be included or not. You'll make the call. But God is looking for a people whose heart is perfect towards him. God is trying to let the world see that he is God. The churches of America are shocked that there's a church in Houston on the rice paddies that has seen what this church has seen. Since we said, Jesus will be preached, Jesus will be taught, and Jesus will be glorified with everything that happens here. And the only way it can happen is for God to bless his people. He has put the desire to serve in those that I mentioned to you earlier. He has put the money here and will as he needs it. But that's up to us. You will be loved by the Lord if you give or you don't give. You'll be loved by this church if you give or you don't give. But the blessing comes. Clear in Scripture, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And little is much when God is in it. The widow's might is worth just as much as the wealthy man's millions, as long as God gets the glory.